The text for the sermon this afternoon is the Word of God as the church has summarized it in Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Here in Lord's Day 46, the church confesses the following, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? to awaken in us at the very beginning of our prayer that childlike reverence and trust toward God, which should be basic to our prayer. God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. Why is there added, in heaven? These words teach us not to think of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner and to expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. So far, the words of the confession. Following the proclamation of God's Word, we will stand and sing together as our initial response the words of Psalm 103, the stanzas 5, 6, and 8. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you think about the whole matter of prayer, How would you define or how would you explain to someone what's taking place with prayer? Perhaps that seems like somewhat of a random question, but it is something important to consider. You see, prayer is not a time in which we meditate or reflect on things together with God. Prayer is speaking with God, praising Him, confessing sin, thanking Him, placing before Him our many needs and concerns. Well, since prayer is speaking with God in such a way, it's fitting that we begin prayer by rightly addressing God. Which leads us to the next question. How do you address God? And especially if we keep in mind what we sang about at the beginning of this worship service, namely that God is three times holy, we might easily think that when we address God in prayer, it's not such an easy matter. It could be more complicated. Think of how you would address someone in the royal family. For each person in the royal family, they have this long list of titles, this long list of names and honorariums and positions. And then we just read in the catechism that we have God, we have His heavenly majesty, His royal position. So how complicated can we make this? When we look through the Scriptures, then we see that the Lord God doesn't make it complicated for us at all. If you look at the prayers of the saints contained in the book of Psalms, you won't find this big, long list of titles. 
Rather, you find that the saints of old addressed God in a relatively straightforward manner. And there's no shortage of different examples. They refer to God as the shepherd, Psalm 23. He's the rock of salvation. We just sang about that in hymn 12 with the words of Moses. He's the holy one, enthroned upon the praises of his people. David speaks of that in Psalm 22. And any one of those titles, plus whatever else you find in the Psalms, is more than fitting to address God. But we have the Lord Jesus Christ, who came that he might reveal the Lord in even fuller measure to his people. And what we see in our scripture reading from Luke is that the Lord Jesus also has something to say or something to teach us when it comes to this whole matter of how we address God in prayer. And with his instruction, he presents us with the gospel and the position that he has now given to us by grace in this family of the faith. And about this I may proclaim to you the word of God, doing so under the theme, the Lord Jesus teaches us to be proper children of God in the address of prayer. We'll look at how this address focuses our attention on childlike reverence, and also childlike trust. Brothers and sisters, when you look at our confession in Lord's Day 46, what would you say is the center or the main content of this Lord's Day? Is this confession primarily concerned with the attitude of our heart? Is this an instruction manual on the things that need to be basic in prayer? Well, to be sure, each one of these is addressed, but they actually flow out from what is the central part of our confession in this Lord's Day. And that central part of the confession, you find it in answer 120, where we say, God has become our Father through Christ. There you have the heart of the whole matter. Because if you would take that part of the confession out, or if you would ignore all those riches, everything that's left in Lord's Day 46 doesn't connect or come together in any way. Then we're left with simply a list of instructions that turn into a burden because we are incapable of doing such things. But it's the Lord Jesus who teaches us to understand things rightly. He says in Matthew 11 verse 27, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and then here it is, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Christ came so that those whom He would purchase with His blood might come to know God in an even richer and even fuller measure. And the catechism has already addressed these things in the past. If you go back to Lord's Day 9, you find there that the eternal Father of the Lord Jesus is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. Lord's Day 13, it talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is the eternal natural Son of God. We are children of God through adoption. And so what it comes down to is that our position as God's children is entirely about God's unique grace, God's unique love that He pours out upon us 
in abundant measure. And that's where we have to start. Because if you take out the work of our Savior, where are we at? You might think, okay, well, if you take out the work of our Savior, we don't have a father. We're orphans. We're helpless. We don't have a home. But is that actually true? The reality is, without Christ, we still do have a father. But the Bible talks about it this way it says, We're children of wrath. We're sons and daughters of the evil one. Without Christ, we do have a father, but not one who cares for us. Without Christ, we have a father who desires nothing less than our eternal destruction. Well, now you get a sense of the seriousness of the situation. But hearing that, what shines forth all the more is the beauty of what our Savior has done for us, because through Him, we've been redeemed from sin. We've been brought into the family of the faith. Through God's grace in Jesus Christ, we've been made brothers and sisters of the very one who bought us with His blood, which means that through Christ, God is now our Father. And that's not just another title for God that we can add to the list either. This speaks about the fact that there is now this harmonious functioning relationship that's in place. It's the father-child relationship, which the Lord Jesus speaks about in our scripture reading. And now, as we live in this relationship, the Lord Jesus, who came to reveal God to us, says, when you pray... You address God as your Father. Because with that address, every time we take those words on our lips, we're actually directed right to the gospel of grace and what Christ has obtained for us. But there's another benefit. That very address, referring, addressing God as Father... It awakens in us a right way of thinking. The Catechism speaks about childlike reverence and childlike trust. And it says that both of these things ought to be basic to our prayer. But the fact that this has to be taught in the Catechism... It shows that we are in need of being instructed what it is to actually be proper children. If we focus specifically on childlike reverence, each one can examine themselves and you can ask, is that childlike reverence something basic to each one of my prayers? Or does it happen from time to time that a lack of reverence starts to creep in little by little? And yes, it is something important to consider 
Because if that childlike reverence is not basic to prayer or is not even functioning in prayer, what it shows is something about us, namely that we are not behaving as proper children. To show reverence to God, that's to demonstrate an attitude of deep respect mixed with that healthy dose of awe. And notice the language used there. It's about demonstrating. So showing reverence to God is not just about having the right attitude toward God inside, but it's showing it outwardly as well. It is possible that one can say, yes, I revere God. I hold God in awe. But then their actions would show the complete opposite. And we see all this when we consider the relationship between a child and their earthly father. We know the words of the fifth commandment. We heard it this morning. Honor your father and your mother. We also know it's a struggle for us. We know that honoring doesn't come easy. That obedience is not natural that it's often mixed with grumbling and complaining. We also know that demonstrating respect for one's father in this world is something that occurs in decreasing measure, and it's going downhill at a rapid rate. Listen to what's happening all around us, and maybe we can examine our own lives in this as well. But when speaking about an earthly father, how often don't you hear people say, yeah, that's the old man? Look at the media. How are fathers portrayed there? They're shown to be bumblers who do nothing but work during the day. They come home, they crack a cold one, they sit behind the TV, and they do nothing else. They're not shown to be people who have ambition in any way. The role of fathers in society, it becomes increasingly minimalized in terms of its importance. And for some, the very thought of a father has more negative feelings than anything else due to negative experiences. Well, all those attitudes toward that earthly father can also swing over to one's attitude towards their heavenly father. Well, perhaps that sounds like a bit of a radical statement. One might think, I would never show anything but reverence to God. Well, the Lord addresses this in His Word. In Malachi 1 verse 6, we heard something about the people in Malachi's time this morning. We can come back to it again, because in Malachi 1 verse 6, the Lord says, If then I am a father, where is my honor? And that's not just some random question. That's an accusation that God places against His people. And if you look at the previous verses, the Lord lays out how He had shown such rich love towards His people. He says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. He says, I chose you to be my people. I poured out my grace upon you. I even brought you back from exile into this promised land, even though you were faithless to me. But now the Lord says, you have not responded in kind. You have not honored me as a father. 
You have not served me as, I sh as you should have. Instead, he says, you've tried to get away with as much as possible. And that's what we heard about this morning, but we can think about it again. Because when we look at ourselves and we examine our lives, can we say that we are any different than those people of Malachi's time? Does our life in every way always reflect the magnitude of God's love for us? Do we give God the best? Do we offer Him our service? Well, if you start with God's love, the answer should be clear. But then the conclusion is this. That childlike reverence toward God is not always so basic to our lives. And if it is not basic to our lives, it is not something basic in prayer either. But that's exactly why the Lord Jesus Christ in His perfect wisdom directs His people what address to use in their prayers. He says, when you pray, address God as Father, because then you are reminded that you have received God's grace in your Savior. When you pray, address God as your Father, because then you are reminded what you owe to God in response. And notice how the Catechism uses that word childlike when describing such reverence. It directs us to think not of an older child who has possibly entered more of a rebellious stage. Instead, it directs us to think of a younger child, one who still looks up to their father. And those who are fathers will know this from experience. You can also see it in young children. They look up at their earthly father and they have that sense of awe. They're convinced that their father is impressive in every way. There's nothing dad can't do for them. Well, that's the attitude that the catechism has in mind when it speaks of childlike. And that's the attitude that should be basic for the believer toward their father in prayer but in all of life. There always should be that sense of awe about God shown in the way we speak to Him as well. And if there were any question about that, the Lord Jesus adds a few words to the address. He taught us to address our Father as the one who is in heaven. And saying those words that God is in heaven, it reminds us that we cannot bring God down to our level. God is in heaven. He is so much greater than us. Heaven is His throne. The earth is His footstool. And He says in Jeremiah 23, verse 23, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? And then He says in verse 24, Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? It's human tendency. We want to try bring God to our level because then we think we can identify Him in some way or we can identify with Him or associate with Him. That's not the way it works with God. To use the words of our confession in answer 121, these words teach us not to think 
of God's heavenly majesty in an earthly manner. And these additional words in the address of our prayer, they're actually quite instructive. Not necessarily because they present us with something new or something we haven't heard before, but they expose what we like to do, even if we're not always aware of it. Put it this way, if it were basic to our prayer that we showed childlike reverence toward God, we wouldn't need to be reminded of it. There'd be no need that it would be awakened in us. And if you want to get a sense of what a serious matter we're dealing with, think about it this way. If a child shows disrespect to their earthly father, and they do it in father's presence so father's aware of everything, what's that father going to do? Is he going to stand by, laugh it off as no big deal? Likely not. There will be consequences. And if that's the case with our earthly father, how do you think it is with the heavenly father? To be a proper child of God, it means to show that childlike reverence toward our heavenly father. It means that we recognize that our position is one that we have only by God's grace, and it means to demonstrate this recognition in an attitude and in the way that we speak. And at the same time, while always having that childlike reverence toward God, there is another element, because having God as our Father in Jesus Christ also means living with childlike trust. We come to our second point. The Catechism states that addressing God as Father is meant to awaken in us at the beginning of prayer childlike trust as well. And just like childlike reverence, this childlike trust is something that ought to be basic to our prayers. Again, the fact that the Lord Jesus has taught us to pray in this way, it exposes something about ourselves, and it's the fact that this childlike trust doesn't come naturally. But as in any relationship, trust is something foundational. In marriage, if there's no trust between husband and wife, you can guarantee that there's going to be problems. In a family, when children don't trust their father, things won't function the way they should. And again, the Catechism has addressed this whole matter earlier in Lord's Day 9 where it deals with God as our Father. It also states there, in Him, in our Father, I trust so completely as to have no doubt well, that's a pretty powerful statement, because as people, doubt enters our mind very quickly. 
Trusting someone completely, that doesn't come natural. We don't like to take our hands off the wheel. We want to maintain some level of control or some say on how things are going to go. Trusting completely? That's almost out of the question for us. But that's the trust that we're called to have in our Heavenly Father. And what's foundational is that we understand why we can have such a level of trust. Is it because we're such good people that Father owes us? No, it's because God has become our Father through Christ. And those words, through Christ, they are incredibly rich words. Because think of it this way, what exactly do we have through Christ? Well, united with Him by faith, we have all the blessings of salvation. Through Christ, we have the forgiveness of our sins. Through Christ, we have perfect obedience before God. Through Christ, we have that rich gift of eternal life. Through Christ, we have a heavenly Father. And as our heavenly Father, who is perfect, who is good, who is loving in all that He does without exception... It means we have one who cares for us in every possible way. It's nothing new either. This is what the Lord revealed about Himself in the Old Testament. Before the sermon, we sang from Hymn 12, the Song of Moses. You find it in Deuteronomy 32. And in that song, verse 6, Moses sings, Is not He your Father who created you? From there, he speaks about the work of the Father in verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. And with that, Moses speaks about the Father's care, the Father's love, the Father's blessing. That's what lies at the foundation of the call for us as proper children to have that childlike trust. Now, what does just childlike trust look like in a practical way? Perhaps we can use an illustration looking again at the earthly father and their relationship with their children. Many dads will throw their young children up in the air and catch them. What's the attitude of that child when they're up in the air? Is that child up in the air terrified, wondering, is dad going to catch me or am I going to fall to the ground? Am I going to get hurt? Am I safe? Well, no. That child being thrown into the air has complete trust that their dad will catch them. They don't doubt it for a single second. They're confident in the ability of their father to protect them from harm. Well, that's the level of trust we are to have, knowing that God is our Father in Jesus Christ, having no doubt whatsoever, having complete confidence in our Father's ability. Because we have every assurance that He will, in fact, take care of us. We know it because of His love for us in Christ. And if you look at Lord's Day 46, you'll notice that this actually comes out in both answers. In answer 120, we confess, God has become our Father through Christ and will much less deny us what we ask of Him in faith than our fathers would refuse us earthly things. 
Answer 121, we're taught to expect from His almighty power all things we need for body and soul. With that, you can also think of what we read in Luke 11. The Lord Jesus illustrates the care of our Heavenly Father by making a comparison with the care of an earthly father. In verses 11 and 12, He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And then He makes the point, earthly fathers, sinful, evil people that they are, still know how to take care of their children and give them good gifts. In spite of all their limitations, all their weaknesses, an earthly father will in most cases provide for their children. Yes, sadly, there are the exceptions, but the Lord Jesus speaks about the norm. The children here can speak about the care they receive from their fathers. What our Savior says, if that's what you receive from your earthly father, a sinful, weak man, now think about the care of your heavenly father, who is perfect. And to help us in developing this thought further, consider what Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, there you have the riches of the gospel, everything we have in Christ. Through our Savior, God has taken care of our greatest need, namely sin. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say, okay, I've taken care of the big things. Now you take care of the little daily things. No, along with Christ, he graciously gives us all things. That's what we receive from our Heavenly Father. And not just from time to time either. Every day again. And when you look at our reading from Luke, you find something else interesting. In verses 5 through 7, the Lord Jesus uses that illustration of someone who receives some company in the middle of the night. And at the time, hospitality was a huge deal. But the person receiving company had nothing to give the, his guest for food. And so he goes over to his friend's place. He says, can you please give me three loaves? The friend's in bed at the time. He says, no, I can't get up. But then the Lord Jesus concludes that illustration in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will arise and give him whatever he needs. And if you look at the note in your Bible, you may notice that impudence could also be persistence. Because that man is so persistent in asking for these three loaves, he's eventually going to get them. And it's a strong lesson. Because what Christ teaches here is that when it comes to asking what we need from our Heavenly Father, it's not something we do once and then say, okay, I've done my part, now I'm done. Christ says it's something you need to keep doing every day. Because with God, we're not just dealing with anyone. We're not just dealing as with a friend as in the passage. 
We're dealing with the one who is our heavenly father by grace. We're dealing with the one who knows us better than we know ourselves, who knows that we are dust, who knows that we are frail, who knows that we are dependent on him in every way. And so the question is this, do you have that childlike trust which leads you to look to your heavenly father for all things? Can you say that this is something functioning every day in your life? Well, the fact that this is something that needs to be awakened in us, as the catechism states, tells us that by nature this isn't the case. In our lives, we don't see that trust from young children, as we mentioned earlier. Instead, what we often see is the attitude we see in children who get older. We think we know better. I don't need help. I can be independent. I can do it myself. And let's call it for what it really is, sinful pride. And thus what we see is the love of our Savior in giving us the instruction in prayer, including how we address our prayer. He doesn't just tell us that He washes us in His blood from all our sins, but He also teaches us how to live in thankfulness going forward. And He knows that we need this instruction, that we depend on this instruction. And notice how our confession actually words things. In question 120, why has Christ commanded us to address God as our Father? It's not about doing so if you so desire, up to you, whether you want to or not. No, He says you must address God as your Father. And it's not because other addresses are wrong, it's not because they can't be used, but it's because with that very address, your whole life is set in perspective. It's with that particular address, this childlike reverence and childlike trust is awakened. And by commanding us to address God as our Father in heaven, we're also reminded to be persistent in prayer and to have confidence that Father hears, Father cares, Father answers. For He is our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ. He is never absent from us, even though we so often are children who are disconnected because of our own weakness. It's through the instruction of our Savior we learn what it is to be proper children of God, living in dependence on our Heavenly Father. If you think about it from the words of Psalm 68, which we'll sing at the end of this service, we have the Almighty God who rides through the heavens, who thunders forth from the clouds, but this same God is the Father to the fatherless. This same God is the one who provides for us day by day, who blesses us with all that we need, and who delights to do so. Because as we'll sing in Psalm 103, in tender mercy, like that of a father who has compassion on his sons and daughters, God looks on those who put in him their trust. Amen.